You're listening to the James Journal Radio Podcast for Sunday, June the 18th. This is our roundtable edition, and in a few short moments, we have Chris Henderson, our site expert at Jay's Journal, along with Matt Gray, one of our senior writers at Jay's Journal, who joined me to talk about this afternoon's victory. They're going to be joining me shortly to discuss all things Blue Jays, as well as this 7-3 to Thursday victory for the Toronto Blue Jays over the Chicago White Sox. Jay Happ won his second in a row. And aside from the first four innings where everyone thought that it was going to be Groundhog Day, we ended up uh, witnessing a very, very inspired performance with key home runs from Russell Martin and Kendris Morales. To call this a big victory would be an understatement. This was an important one. The Jays needed this win. They needed this win not only to avoid getting swept by a lesser AL Central opponent, the sense, I think, in the clubhouse that... um, Blue Jays fans have reached a point where they need to know what kind of team they really have. And now at uh, two games under 500, 23 and 35, still trying to get over the hump, question that it doesn't get any easier. The schedule ahead is not friendly. The circumstances with which the Jays have which each series are constantly changing with a dearth of injuries, never-ending injuries. It seems like as soon as they get someone back, someone else goes down. So this is really, I think, gut check time. This is the moment with, with every franchise where you, you go to your leaders, you go to your elders, you go to those management types that have put a certain chemistry together, and you hope that they coalesce, that they assimilate in such a way that they become a unified, effective, on group of players. And, and I'm hoping that we're going to see that in the, in the days to come because even with uh, just under 100 games left to play, there's no question but they've got to start now. And so joining me now, as mentioned earlier, Chris Henderson and Matt Graves from Jay's Journal. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing very well. Ari, happy to be here. Doing well, Ari. How's it going? Good, good, good. So listen, let's talk about this afternoon, and then, and then I want to get your opinions on several different issues that I've wanted to talk about in this kind of format. We're going to be doing a lot of this. We're going to have two, three, four-man roundtables down the road, but... For this afternoon, let's talk about this game, this Father's Day special, if you want to call it that, um, which for a few innings in the beginning looked as though we were going to see a familiar pattern of frustration for fans of this team before Mr. Martin Gones and Morales showed up and, and basically saved the day. I want to get your opinion, guys. Why has it been so difficult for this team to put together big innings this year? What, what's the problem here? You know, it's... Uh... You and I talked a few nights ago about this concept of feasts or famine, and uh, it, seemed, it really has been that that uh, really has been that way with the offense again this year. And it was something that they really did want to address in the off season. Um, you know, they talked about wanting to get a higher OBP kind of type on the team, but yeah. uh, you know, they do have the tools that uh, it shouldn't be something that is so hot and cold. But you know, fortunately today it was a hot opportunity, so or it was a, it was a hot afternoon, so. If things worked out on uh, when when it goes hot or cold, it's going to work out sometimes, and today it did. Yeah, no doubt. What, what do you think, Matt? Why do you think it's been so tough for them this year to score runs? I think it's more because of the fact that they rely on the long ball a little bit too much. It showed a lot of that last year when they had runners in scoring position. They could have easily played the small ball, but again, they rely on the long ball too much for me. 
We saw them play the small ball a little bit when Donaldson and Tulo were on the DL. We saw Goins, Barney, Conlon, they can play that. Carrera, too. But as I mentioned before, it's just the long ball. I feel like they have to stop relying on that a little bit too much and maybe focus more on small ball. That way they can get the runs in a little more. But But the long ball, it's catching up. You know, this team, I think, now is 3-13 and 13 when they don't hit a home run at this point in the season. That's a disturbing stat. That tells you, you know, if you're down by a run and you've got to find a way to play to run and get runners going station to station, it's not going to happen with this team, is it? No, and I mean, I've, I'd never heard that stat, and I have to agree with uh, with Matt. I mean, in in kind of just with that OBP thing, it's, it is. We are a club that just relies on that home run too much. And when things are going well, then you know you see the Morales hitting hitting the ball, and yeah, that was uh, that was incredible today. But um, you know, it's uh, it is. That's exactly that's exactly it. I, I'm not even going to argue. <laughs> I have to agree with the home run too. Go ahead. Matt. I mean, yeah. with Morales, uh with Edwin, I know Edwin. He hit the home runs a lot too. But Morales, he's kind of like that. I prefer him more than Edwin because he's not always relying on the home run. He can hit, he can switch hit, but that home run today was just one hell of a beauty. (laughs) Oh, it was. And what was even more impressive to me is I thought the right side would be an issue for Kendris at the Sky Dome. I thought from the left side, he understands it's a relatively short porch. But when he's hitting right-handed and he can hit the way he has, then I shake my head and say, you know, are we are we really going to miss Edwin Encarnacion in, in, in this? I mean, a, a dynamic power hitting switch hitter. That's that's a novelty. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and as you say that, I've 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 been amazed by the same thing with Justin Smoke this year. You know, I figured that uh, in a best case scenario for him this year, he might be the the left-handed half of a platoon at first base, yeah, but he's sure. been, been crushing the ball from the right side. And that's been a tremendous asset to have a switch hitter, that, uh, a couple of switch hitters that are performing like that. Is it safe to say that we'll never see a return to that magical September in, in 2015 where for like 30 days you, you got the feeling that no matter how many runs the team was behind, they'd find a way to win? Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I feel like the team still obviously has those kind of tools to do that again. And we've seen, uh, we haven't seen extended runs of it like we did in 2015. That might be an unfair thing to hope for um but i mean the, the players are still there and some of them you know i, I don't feel like ma- and many of them have lost it that big of a step from their performances you know provided the donaldson's and tulowitzki's are healthy if we can get uh, devin travis back in september this year that may look like a long shot but he's the kind of guy that uh, you know really helps to get on base for some of those boppers so that when those so when those home runs come along it's more than just a solo shot mm-hmm. um yeah. having guys like travis is crucial and uh, but um, you know, other than him, I think this is a team that uh, that is capable of doing that again. It's just a matter of just a matter of uh, you know whether they go on a hot streak again. 2015, you saw that chemistry kind of evolve all into one after getting Tulowitzki and David Price. They all knew they were on the same page. They knew they had to win, get the runs, and push their way through the playoffs. Unfortunately, back to back years, it was just few wins short of going to the World Series. I feel like with this year, compared to last year when they had that bit of a downfall in September, this year I feel like they'll learn from that. And as they get deeper into the season later in August and into September, they're going to get that chemistry back to pretty much try and push for the playoffs. So I think later on it's going to help them. Let's look at Jay Happ. He, uh, He wins his second in a row. 
uh, was cruising along for the first four weeks, hit a couple of uh, stumbling blocks. But all in all, I think that, that everyone was really pleased in that dugout with what he was doing. Is he back to his 2016 form, or are we confident that the return of Sanchez means that Joe Biagini goes back to the bullpen, and now we can go back to the five that we expected would be starting? I would say so, definitely. Mm-hmm. Jay Happ, his performance today, that was so much like what he was in 2016. Yeah. His previous starts were a little bit on and off, including when he first came back from the DL against the Cincinnati Reds. He didn't really last that long. His next start in Oakland, it was iffy, but then when he went to Seattle last week, it seemed like he was regaining that form, and today he built that off, so it looked really well for him, and Aaron Sanchez, that's going to be good when he comes back. Because Biagini, when he goes back, we can rely on him more than just like Danny Barnes and Ryan Tapera. So that way they can get a little bit of a break more. And that way, Biagini, he's yeah. not going to be going off on a cold streak anytime soon. Yeah, what do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, you know what? I, uh, I Correct me if I'm wrong. I think Hap only had one rehab start before he returned to the, to the yeah, Major League roster as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you know, given that, given that to consideration, I think he, I think he's. It's fair to say that he's back to full strength again, and he's pitching to uh, the potential of what we can see from him. Now, whether or not it's fair to expect him to be like a twenty and four with a three point one eight ERA again, I don't know that. Uh, I mean, that was probably the best season he'll ever have. But I do think he's a tremendous asset for the rotation, and he looked uh, looks he's looked apart in his last two outings. So, excited to have him back, and I and I agree with you, Matt. Um, Having Biagini um, move back to the rotation just kind of protects the amount of mileage he's had on this arm, uh, on his arm this year, just because he hasn't started in a couple of years. Um, sets him up well to start next year, and it also gives another asset, another weapon in the bullpen, which, uh, which is surprisingly the bullpen has performed very well, or has looked uh, looked apart that uh, they're starting to become some trusted arms down there, and I'm I'm optimistic about it. I think we can also say it's about time. As much as I as I've enjoyed watching Joe Biagini. Uh, in his, uh, you know, small handful of, of starts, he just seemed like he was out of sorts. He just seemed like, uh, even even symbolically, the way he was going out of he just got the impression that this was a, re- a reliever masquerading as a starter, which is not to say I don't think he can become a starter one day, but with the resources this team has and needs in certain areas, maybe now we'll get a little bit more balance in the bullpen and not end up, uh, you know, over-taxing uh, Tepera and... Um, and Barnes in particular, who, again, was awesome. you, you got to love the bullpen, those two guys, how they've been performing. Is it me, or does it seem like every time they go out there, they've got the poise and they're in total control? Yeah, I mean, I, they're, the nice thing about adding Biagini back uh, with him and Tapera in particular, they they're both uh, they both attack left-handed hitters nearly as well as they do right-handers. And uh, that's a huge asset, um, especially because, you know, Aaron Loops had a great year, but uh, we can still use some guys that are that are uh, strong against left-handed hitters, and, and that gives us another weapon there. Um, as I was listening to the game today, I mean, uh, I didn't realize that I knew Barnes had great numbers, but, I mean, he's at a two-and-a-half ERA. He's, his whip's under 1.0. He's uh, He's been just tremendous. And I, I, I thought he was going to be good, but I didn't expect him this to is be lights up. This, this good. Yeah. I do agree with that with Danny Burns um, and Tapera. They're that go-to we can have in our bullpen because yeah. we've never had that kind of depth in our bullpen in the last two years where they've made the postseason. So seeing guys like Danny Barnes and Ryan Tapera eat up those innings and make sure those guys don't bring in the runs, get those strikeouts, and their ERAs are profound, 
that's really going to help them down the road. And hopefully if they do make the playoffs, you know, there's your go-to for your bullpen. Then, again, it's that depth they have, and that's good they have it now. How often do you have a chance to do a podcast and hear the phrase, Aaron Loops had a great year? I am so gonna Yeah, I can't that. even believe I just said <laughs> that, but it's true. <laughs> this thing is going live, so the world will join you in hopefully um, what will be the validation of Aaron Loop, because if he can hold on and finish this year the way he started it, maybe we can all rest a little easier rather than uh, you know losing our minds when he walks out from the bullpen. Let's, um, let's switch gears. I want to ask you both to grade the Blue Jays drafted this year. Give me a grade, given that they, they went one, two, one and two with uh, Logan Warmoth and, and Nate Pearson as the two selections they started with. What are your thoughts on this? So we'll start with you, Matt. What's the grade for this draft, and, and how does it compare to the other drafts? I'm going to have to go with uh, – I'm going to have to give them a grade of a B. I give that mm. a B because some of the guys they drafted, like Warmoth, a few other picks as well that they drafted. Some of these guys are going to be ready to go into the big leagues within another two or three years. Give them time to develop in double A. Hopefully they get promoted in the triple A. And then, like I said, they'll get in there within another two or three years. And I know that the window that wins for the Blue Jays is kind of slim. But the way I see it is they'll keep guys like Donaldson and Tulo. And then they'll bring in the younger guys and kind of build that core around Donaldson and Tulo. So, yeah, I feel like these guys are going to make an impact for the team one day, and I'm very happy that they picked up Roger Clemens' kit. That is awesome. Yeah, that was very cool, wasn't <laughs> it? What do you think, Chris? Yeah, you know what? I was I was kind of trying to think of a letter grade, and I yeah, it's so hard in baseball because you have so many guys that you don't you don't know what they're going to do. I mean, Kevin Pillar was I think 262nd pick or something like that. So it's so hard to give it a real grade, but I like the B. Um, you know, there. What I felt like, and I could be wrong, but what I felt like I saw from the Blue Jays this year was that they took the best available player, and I was surprised after the first two days that they hadn't really focused on pitching much. But then they they really did load up on arms in the later rounds. But each with each selection, whether it was um, you know Pearson or whether it was Danner, uh, um, Dag and Tanner later on, um, there was several guys that were projected to go much higher than they um, than they were actually selected, and I felt like the with the Blue Jays, they took multiple middle infielders, they took multiple catchers, and I just felt like they were really uh, going for the best, uh, the best available asset. And to me, that's kind of that's. I mean, I'm no uh, expert when it comes to, to drafting by any means, but this, to me, that's always been the most. Uh, that's always been the, the the kind of strategy that I would like to see that the club take because then it sets you up to see who who is going to truly develop because it is really a crapshoot in this draft. Number one, you're going to get that minute that, and you're going to have a lot of trade assets that way, especially if you have a glut of middle infielders right now. Like it looks like the system is starting to develop. Yeah, it is. It's an evolving system, and it's one that's um, influenced by now the Shapiro-Atkins paradigm, if you will. I mean, this is year two of the post-Anthopolis era. You, we have this team with $160 million payroll. I'm wondering, do you guys think that Shapiro and Atkins have done enough to this point to show fans that they're on the right track and that they're distinguishing themselves from the past? Or is this still like a team in flux where there's so much of the Anthopolis fingerprints all over it? Maybe that's why fans are frustrated. We don't know what this Blue Jays team really What do you guys think about that? I, I still see it as a team in flux. I mean, it's going to take a little while. There was a lot of contracts and a lot of long commitments that uh, were under the Anthopolis era and some very good ones. 
Um, you know, but then if the if they're really truly looking to separate themselves, then um, from that era, having guys like Jose Batista return um, just kind of maintains that uh, that fingerprint that you talked about with Anthopoulos. I think they're they've done some. They definitely have a different strategy in the draft, at least from what I saw this year. Anthopoulos was always very focused on pitching, and I felt like this draft was uh, was a different strategy than we've seen from the Blue Jays in a while. And uh, like I said, I'm a fan of what I saw this year. And I, I, you know, as the year goes on and as their tenure goes on, I've become a bigger fan of the two, and I'm willing to give them a longer leash personally. I have to agree with Chris on pretty much on the flux part with that. We're going to eventually see some of the signings and Poplis have eventually evaporate and slowly it'll see pretty much all of Shapiro and Atkins work. All of what we're seeing with all these draft picks too, like I said, within another two or three years, some of these guys that we drafted are going to be major league baseball ready. Um, mm. And as Crinch mentioned before, with the whole pitching perspective of Poplis, he just focused on all the arms, and luckily we got guys like Stroman and Sanchez, but I mean, we're eventually going to see a different kind of team down the road within another two or three years. I don't really see the Blue Jays being that much of a power-hitting team as much as they are right now. But that has to be enormously deflating for fans who love coming up to the ballpark. And let's face it, the majority of them are not there to see a pitching performance. Of course, the three of us would absolutely adore that, especially if you're more of a, say, purist of the game. But generally speaking, the average fan goes to watch a team that's highly entertaining. And from an entertainment standpoint, this team's been a bust this year. There's no question about it. This is the most frustrating baseball I've watched in long stretches that I didn't think the team could be capable of. And it's not one thing. It just seems to be all the great luck that this team received last year with their solid health and capacity to stay injury-free. It's finally caught up to them. And I'm worried that now, especially with Travis out of the mix, and also knowing that the, the starters have gone through their bout of, of various maladies that, you know, could still rear their ugly heads in August and September. It's got to be a concern to think that UJ's Brass is thinking, man, we need to get to the next generation. We need to get these other players up here soon because this doesn't seem sustainable. Yeah, and I've said it before, I know, when we've chatted in the past, Ari, but I feel like the Blue Jays are the kind of team that could take the approach that we've seen from the Red Sox or the Yankees in the last number of years, where maybe you know maybe next year is a step back, or maybe not necessarily next year, but the year after that. It's entirely possible that we don't, uh, in a couple of years' time, that Donaldson is somewhere else and Batista is mm-hmm. either retired or somewhere else. And so the team is going to look differently. But I think you know there's enough young pieces, there's enough you know talent. You know, there's enough talent in guys like Sanchez and Stroman, and uh, there's so much talent on the way that I feel like it's a team that even if they do take a step back next year or the year after, they shouldn't be that far away. And I don't feel like this is going to be something that's going to be another 20-year drought. And um, obviously, that's going to be there's going to be a lot of pressure on Atkins and Shapiro to to make the kind of moves that are going to close that gap. But uh, I I think there's every bit of potential that um, they could they could compete this year with this group and uh, see a very different group in next year and the year following and still be competitive. But uh, I, I tend to be an eternal optimist. <laughs> to me, with our prospects right now, with what we have, we don't really have anybody that's like a go-to for like pitching or hitting. I know Guerrero and Bichette, they're doing really well in minor league, but like AAA, there's nobody that we can really rely on too much. Yeah, with Bautista and the other contracts that we might lose after this season, I mean... It could open the door to bring up 
a few prospects, maybe one or two. I'm not 100% sure, but in terms of after this year, it's going to be a very, very different baseball team. Luckily, we didn't lose Bautista to another team because if we did, this baseball team now would have looked very, very different this year. Uh, we're heading into Texas for four, Kansas City for three. It's a road, and then Baltimore, Boston, the Yankees, and Houston. Now, I'm saying that and just shaking my head while I'm doing it because can we safely say that this is that juncture in the season that will determine whether or not they a contender? I mean, there are 94 regular season games left, so it's still almost comical for me to say this. But given the number of competition, gentlemen, it, can this team overcome that? Because that, that concerns me enormously given the caliber of those teams, especially the Yankees, Boston, and, and the Astros. It's going to be a hit or miss. I say that because that's a three-week span of them trying to win games. But the issue with that is that they're practically injury-prone right now. Majority of the guys that they had on the DL, that's almost 20 guys they had. And anytime someone comes back, someone goes on. So yeah. I feel like the injuries is what's going to pretty much come back to haunt them during this span. And after they play Houston and when it goes into the All-Star break, I feel like Blue Jays management, they'll have a better perspective of how they might want to pursue the trade deadline on yeah. July 31st. But, I mean, it's up in the air. I feel like the injuries, it's, it's going to be a bit of an issue. But that's just depending on how they're going to play against these guys. I mean, it's tough. That's probably going to be their biggest challenge all year is to try to get wins against these guys. Chris, do you think this team could actually be a buyer if they go into that all-star break and somehow end up being with games over 500 or maybe a couple of games up on the wild card or even maybe getting close to the division? Can you actually see this current Blue Jays front office saying, let's invest more into this into this product for the fans? Yeah, you know what? I think I think this next stretch, we talked about this a few days ago as well, this next stretch is absolutely crucial. And I, I really wish we were playing the Yankees and Red Sox now because they're both kind of hit a rough patch. But um, I think um, we're going to – Texas is always a series that the team gets up for, and I think it's an important one. Um, you know, it's an opportunity for the Rangers to kind of bury – not bury us, but to put us in a very difficult spot because this is a crucial stretch. And as Matt touched on, on July, um, you know, with the games against those AL East opponents, um, if, the, if, these, if this next stretch goes poorly, then we're not going to see a buyer. But if it goes well and uh, this team is uh, sitting a couple of games above 500, I think they should be a buyer uh, because it's an opportunity that maybe, um, you know, with all, these young, with all this young talent on the farm that's coming that's maybe a few years away, this could realistically be, depending on how they choose to proceed going in the future, this year could be the end of this window. Um, they could choose to extend it a little bit, too. But um, I think that uh, if we do buy, it'll be smaller pieces. I think that they're real, they realistically have to address the second base situation if they're going to be uh, contenders. But beyond that, as long as people stay healthy, the rotation looks good, the bullpen looks good. Um, the lineup is strong, as we talked about. They're hot and cold, but uh, for the most part, it's a, it's a nice deep lineup. Uh, but I do think that um, if we could add somebody at second base, that would be that would be huge. And that's the note that I want to leave this on, guys, for for this afternoon. I can't thank you enough for joining us. We've been listening to Chris Henderson and Matt Gray, Jay's Journal. I'm Ari Shapiro, and thanks for joining us on the roundtable.